Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I am Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican Sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is day 12 in our series, and we'll be looking at the second section of St. Catherine's Treatise of Prayer on the theme of baptism and grace from the subsection on how they who are imperfect desire to follow the Father alone through the subsection on how St. Paul was drawn to the glory of the Blessed. Let us open with St. Catherine's prayer in praise of the Blessed Trinity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In our last segment, the 11th in this series, the Father instructed Catherine on the absolute centrality of prayer for growth in the spiritual life. He warned her that the evil one, the devil, will try to do anything to distract the person who commits to prayer. But he encouraged her and others who wish to pray to pray always by offering up continual desire for his glory and for the salvation of souls. God instructed Catherine to be faithful to her commitment to vocal prayer but never to cease striving to wed vocal prayer to mental prayer. Words themselves are of little value, but when words are accompanied by holy desire, the soul ascends quickly to the throne of God. It is by fidelity to prayer that a person will remain in the cell of self-knowledge and grow in the virtue of humility. Prayer will teach her evermore to rely on the divine mercy for all things. The Father offered Catherine an interesting warning against being overly introspective about past sin, but he instructed her rather to seek his pardon in general for sin. He said that this is because the devil will sometimes use an exaggerated contrition to draw souls away from full reliance on divine mercy, and even use their recalling of past sins to lead them into further temptation. 
The father also reminded Catherine that among the greatest of the divine gifts is that of the Eucharist, the holy body and blood, soul and divinity of our Savior Jesus Christ, by which we are united with God in grace. The more a soul desires union with God, the more fruitful the reception of Holy Communion is. This is a concept that Catherine surely also heard in the preaching of the Dominican friars in her hometown, since St. Thomas Aquinas writes often about how grace is received according to the mode of the receiver. God always gives infinitely, but we can always stretch our capacity to receive more fully. Because the Church is the dispenser of sacraments, especially of the Holy Eucharist, Catherine is instructed by the Father to reverence those who, quote, hold the keys to the blood. This is a phrase that becomes very important, as I said in the last episode, to the whole spirituality of Catherine. She will always be faithful to the Church, ever true to her love for the papacy and for the priesthood, because it holds the keys to the blood. The very fact the first sections of this treatise of prayer center on the Eucharist and on continual prayer shows the primacy of these gifts of divine grace. As we continue to explore the treatise of prayer, the Father reveals to Catherine that those who take the doctrine of Christ crucified as their rule and way of life run along the bridge toward divine union. Interestingly, the Father points out to Catherine that a sure sign of perfectly holy desire is when one focuses on following Christ rather than having devotion to the Father alone. The Father explains, somewhat surprisingly, that if one clings only to Him as Father, this can be from an imperfect motive of seeking the delight they find in the Father. Whereas devotion to Christ crucified necessarily includes willingness to suffer, which shows a much higher perfection of love as it is less centered on self. Thus the Father reminds Catherine that the surest way to ascend to union with God is by climbing the bridge who is Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the Father. We climb the bridge of Christ first with the feet of the soul's affections, secondly, by gazing into the pierced side of Christ, and thirdly, by receiving the kiss of peace, who is the Spirit of God. In this section, the Father explains more fully than in the earlier sections, the importance of gazing into the pierced side of Christ in order to learn what he calls the secret of the heart. He says to Catherine, I wished thee to see the secret of the heart, showing it to thee open, so thou might see how much more I loved than I could show thee by finite pain. I poured from it blood and water to show thee the baptism of water, which is received in virtue of the blood. In accordance with the Father's will, the love he bears toward the human race is shown via the sacraments. By the waters of baptism, we are cleansed with the power that comes from the blood shed by Christ. 
The father goes on to tell Catherine that in addition to sacramental washing in baptism, the charity poured out in baptism comes to people in two other ways. First, by baptism in blood. Even if people have not been baptized sacramentally, if they are called to offer their lives for faith in Christ, they are cleansed by this baptism of blood. And secondly, by what he calls being baptized in fire, which the Father explains is for those who have not been sacramentally washed, yet desire baptism with the affection of love. This is what in our modern catechism we call the baptism by desire. The Father goes on to explain to Catherine that there is no baptism of fire without the blood, because the blood of Christ is needed or worked through with the fire of divine charity. Not only does the soul receive the fire of divine charity through sacramental baptism in all of its forms, but because, as the Father laments, there are some who lose this baptismal grace through mortal sin after baptism, there is an ongoing gift. God wills that there be what he calls a continual baptism of blood. This, he says, is the divine charity provided in the sacrament of holy confession, which he describes to Catherine as the soul's receiving of the baptism of blood, quote, with contrition of heart, confessing when able to my ministers who hold the keys of the blood, sprinkling it in absolution upon the face of the soul, end quote. This is a beautiful sacramental teaching that baptism has many forms and that the power of the blood of Christ, which is what gives baptism its efficacy, also flows through the sacrament of confession in which, as the Father said, the blood is sprinkled on the face of the soul. The Father goes on to tell Catherine that if a person is unable to confess, contrition of heart that is true can be sufficient for this baptism of blood. If, however, people are able to confess and refuse to do so, they deprive themselves freely of the fruit of the blood. Although there is superabundant mercy available for all people, the Father warns Catherine that no soul should put off repentance and confession, thus presuming upon the goodness of God, lest they leave this life without accessing the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. So the Father describes the ongoing repentance of a soul and its renewal in grace through the sacrament of confession as diverse forms of baptism, all merited through the shedding of the blood of Christ. He says that although the pains Christ suffered on the cross were finite, the fruits of them are infinite. This is because Christ, the one who gave himself for love of us, is divine. His divinity is perfectly wed to his humanity. And he offered himself with much fire and love. This fire of love that gives infinitely to the human community is the secret of the heart, the mystery of the truth that although pain was finite, love was infinite. The father then goes on to say to Catherine 
that although this soul who seeks and achieves union with Him glorifies Him exceedingly, yet His glory shines forth even in those who are worldly and to reject Him. This is because God's infinite goodness and mercy shine forth in the fact that He gives them more time in order that they may repent. He continues by revealing that He still orders the things of nature to serve them, such as the earth to give forth its fruits and the sun to give them light and warmth. In a passage of rich poetic beauty, the Father tells Catherine that He continually pours out charity and mercy to both the sinner and the righteous. He tells her that He often gives more material earthly blessings to those who are further from Him, but often allows the righteous to suffer privation, and He does this in order to increase their virtue. He says that even when evil men persecute the good, they are still glorifying God by drawing forth the patience of their neighbor and giving them opportunity to suffer humbly in union with the Son of God. So even when they do not will it, worldly people render glory to God. Perhaps even more surprisingly, the Father says that even the devils render glory and praise to God. They are instruments of justice toward the damned, but they also operate in a special way in relation to the good. Toward good people, the devils cause virtue to grow in diverse ways. They try to deprive the servants of God of things they see as good, but they only serve to strengthen them in patience, fortitude, and perseverance. A great example of this is by looking at the book of Job in the Bible. Job, the just man who followed the Lord, the devil tried to break by causing so much suffering in his life. And this didn't break Job. In fact, it led Job to far greater humility and repentance. The Lord reveals to Catherine that he created the angels to participate in his beauty, but many rebelled and fell, refusing to render God glory through the affection of love. But as was explained above, God so ordered that they should be the cause of the increase in virtue of his true and faithful servants. To God be all praise and glory. The Father tells Catherine that when the soul has passed through this life and entered into the glory of God, she will be given the vision of how all creatures live to the praise and glory of God, for she will see God face to face. He pointed out that in the kingdom of God, the glorified soul will know truth and be perfectly satisfied as her will is bound to God's in love. The soul will be unable to suffer pain because she will desire only what is to the praise and glory of God. She will no longer be able to endure pain, but only compassion which will move her to pray for mercy for the whole world. You see this in the lives of many saints who say, as St. Therese of Lisieux said, that they will spend their eternity by doing good for those on earth. Those who pass through the narrow gate are bathed in the blood of Christ crucified and find themselves in God, the Sea Pacific. As an example of this, the Father speaks of St. Paul, when St. Paul was given a vision of the third heavens, 
he experienced a foretaste of what the blessed experience in eternal life. The Father says to Catherine that he showed to Paul Christ crucified. He clothed him in the garment of true doctrine and bound him with the clemency of the Holy Spirit, which inflamed him with the fire of charity. This made Paul perfectly docile to the divine will and gave him such true contrition and perfect charity that he longed to be freed from the life of this world and enter into the fullness of divine glory. If we could but glimpse his glory, we would desire to be with God forever. As the conversion and the vision of St. Paul illustrate, the power of the blood of Christ is a baptism of fire that burns away all sin and makes a person so one with God that he desires only what God desires. This concludes the 12th episode in our series, a meditation on grace in the many forms of baptism by which we are filled with divine life. Next time we'll continue the treatise of prayer in episode 13 on the unitive state of the soul. We will begin that with the subsection on how the soul who finds herself in a unitive state desires infinitely to leave the barren earthly state. And we will continue through to the subsection on how they who have arrived at the aforesaid unitive state have the eye of their intellect illumined by supernatural light. Until then, may we live out our baptismal calling bathed in the blood of Christ crucified and aflame with the fire of charity. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.